Welcome to the Crowdfunding Podcast. The podcast for entrepreneurs, bootstrappers, visionaries, and change makers. Learn about crowdfunding tips, tricks, methods, success stories, missions, and more. Brought to you from Rotterdam, the Netherlands, and hosted by Lynn Vanderhoff, Tristan DeFelda, Radu Makofi, and Perry Krautoff. And sponsored by the Erasmus Center for Entrepreneurship. Welcome to the very first episode of the Crowdfunding Podcast. First of all, we would like to thank Dr. Wim Halsing for his guidance and expertise, which helped us tremendously in setting up this podcast. Today, we will start with an introduction into crowdfunding with our guest speaker, Robin Hoogstraten. He is an expert in funding, deal structuring, entrepreneurship and marketing. He did a bachelor's in business administration at the Rotterdam School of Management at the Erasmus University. He did a master's there as well in entrepreneurship and new business venturing. He is currently the commercial slash managing director at Simbit. Amongst others, he had the positions of sales lead, equity funding specialist and account manager at Simbit before. He has also hosted courses around all sorts of funding aspects of a business for entrepreneurship students. Guys, uh, welcome. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. Uh, we're here today with Robin Hoogstraten from Simbit. Um, thank you, Robin, for being here today with us. Uh, it's a pleasure for us. Uh, could you please give a short introduction about yourself? Yes, of course. Thank you, Tristan, for uh, welcoming me. And of course, nice to be on this episode. Also nice to be in touch with some students again from the master, which I also previously graduated from. Uh, which is uh, already way too long ago, I would say, uh, because I loved being a student. So uh, do enjoy it and take your time to be entrepreneurial because uh, now is the time, I would say. So small intro about myself. Uh, like said, studied uh, Erasmus University. Uh, first did my bachelor's in business administration and then uh, the master, uh, uh, which is now called strategic entrepreneurship, uh, for formerly known as entrepreneurship and new business venturing. Um, chose this master because it's a, in my uh, opinion, practical master where you can learn from mistakes other entrepreneurs made, which was personally for me really valuable. And I really like the entrepreneurial mindset. So also with the fellow, fellow students uh, trying to set up businesses, help them with their businesses. Um, also thought about my own business, of course. And in the end, after the master, uh, I wrote my thesis at Simbit, which was a real, let's say, startup back then. This uh, that we're talking about 2012 to 13. Uh, Simbit launched operationally in 2011. So this was my first, let's say, um, experience with crowdfunding, um, writing a thesis for my master. And uh, I was actually planning on leaving the company after my thesis and uh, working with a larger corporate in the entrepreneurship scheme. But uh, when I did the thesis, I found out that I liked this way better. So they offered me uh, a starting position uh, as a, uh, so to say, campaign manager, uh, how it was called back then. And I took it. And now we are approximately seven, eight years further down the line. I'm uh, managing uh, slash commercial director of uh, Simbit. And yeah, really experienced the crowdfunding to explode from 
being really a small form of funding and uh, fundraising in the uh, well let's say all of the alternatives out there to now becoming a serious option for entrepreneurs raising funds okay so so as you said you're now the commercial managing director at simbit um and for almost now 12 years you've worked at simbit right uh, well, for me, a little uh, shorter. The company is ex in existence for, let's say, roughly 12 years. And uh, I joined from late 2013 on. Yeah. So for me, it's now uh, seven, eight-ish year uh, Simbit commitment. Okay. Um, so just like us, you did the entrepreneurship masters. Um, do you have a bit of experience in, uh, in the entrepreneurial world yourself? Uh, well, I used to have my own car polishing company. Uh, and that was before I was join, uh, joining the uh, the master program. Uh, it was a, a little bit of a low-key, just sole proprietorship company where I just helped people polishing their cars because I, I like cars and it was way better than working in a supermarket, which I really hated for, let's say, €2.60 an hour. Uh, I, I'm, I told myself I'm never going to do that. Yeah. So uh, from my, I think, 12th or 13th onwards i uh, started with this and then did this until i was 24 ish i guess okay wow uh, and back then i started to do my thesis at simbit and also had some other jobs next to uh, next to that so I, i've been entrepreneurial um but not a serial entrepreneur uh, or these kinds of things. yeah yeah um so you're someone who is a, let's say, well-equipped in the world of crowdfunding. So your first introduction was kind of through your thesis. Um, so if we dive a bit deeper into crowdfunding, how would you explain the concept of crowdfunding to someone with uh, zero knowledge in this field? Uh, that's an interesting one because I, uh, uh, I happened to meet a lot of people, let's say, seven years ago who did really know nothing about crowdfunding. So we mm -hmm. needed to really prepare a well, let's say, structured pitch. So in the end, uh, what we try to say, if we are looking to crowdfunding, um, it's important to realize that uh, there are, of course, different forms of crowdfunding. But in general, the terminology crowdfunding is, let's say, being built from combining the power of, I would say, social, social media. So spreading an online message together with fundraising. And if you combine these two into a funding activity, then you just uh, gr uh, get an online message and you build a marketing campaign in which you invite a lot of people to become a part of your fundraising opportunity with small tickets. So uh, back then when we were explaining crowdfunding at the beginning, people thought that we were talking about crowd surfing, so jumping into a crowd uh, from a stage. So we really needed to educate the market. Um, we were one of the first ones in the Netherlands to be active in this field. Uh, and then specifically, we are active in the equity crowdfunding with Simbit. So equity and convertibles, which was also harder to explain for some people. Yeah, but uh, in essence, it's just splitting up one regular funding deal into smaller tickets and inviting everybody who is willing to participate. Yeah. So that can be your aunt, your grandma, your grandfather, or uh, so to say, your friends, family, fools. Yeah. Um, but also the larger networks of a platform, industry enthusiasts, and everybody who can potentially be uh, involved with the company. Okay. Um, and then also in the world of entrepreneurship, especially when we zoom into raising funds, the crowdfunding is, is mentioned a lot. Uh, but why is this such a useful tool for entrepreneurs? 
Uh, I think there are multiple advantages of hosting a crowdfunding campaign as an entrepreneur. Uh, at first, uh, if you do this quite early onwards as an entrepreneur, you immediately validate your concept. Uh, because if you talk to one investor and this one investor happened to be interested to invest into your company, then you only know one guy or girl who's interested and validated that you are on the right track. But if you can do this to a really large crowd and you need to convince, let's say, over 100 people to become a part of your company, then you can immediately see that at least 100 people get what you do with your company and believe in your future company, so to say. So it's a validation tool. Mm, okay. um, next to validating, it's also a way of doing marketing. Because what you do is you combine an active marketing campaign, spreading the message of your company and also the message why you became an entrepreneur, uh, in essence, uh, to other individuals to convince them to become a part of your company. And this uh, will help them to get introduced with your concept. Even if they don't invest, at least they learned about your company. They saw the name. They know what you do, or at least it's in the back of their heads. So if later onwards you do a normal marketing campaign, you will see that people start to recognize you faster. And it usually also has a spin-off during your fundraising that you do not only raise investment from your crowdfunders, uh, but you also get new clients, you get new partners, you get media attention, you get uh, interesting discussions. So it triggers way more than only the capital. Yeah, so that's more of the network effects, the, la the letter you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, so you have the validation, you have the marketing, you have, of course, the, the, the financial aspect, but you also have the networking effect. Um, so we hear a lot of advantages, but also, are, are there also some risks or some downsides of crowdfunding? Yes, of course, of course. There's never, uh, let's say, one way of fundraising, <laughs> which is perfectly fine. Yeah. Now, there, there are some downsides. Uh, I would say from the entrepreneurial perspective, there's the downside of you really telling about your company, opening up towards a lot of people. So you need to go, as we say in Dutch, with the, uh, met the bill of blood. Yeah. So yeah. you need to go, uh, you really need to go all the way. And uh, of course, the info is not everything you know about the company, but you need to be quite detailed in order to convince people to become an investor. And it's open on the platform. So that's one thing you should prepare for, that you are aware of this effect. Yeah. An other disadvantage is that it needs preparation. Some uh, entrepreneurs have the idea ideology that they can just list a campaign at a crowdfunding platform and it magically gets funded because it's the best idea of the world. Well, then we need to shaken up these entrepreneurs that at first it's probably not the best idea of the world, but you do think it's the best idea of the world because you're the entrepreneur, which yeah. is fine, which is cool because you need to believe in your own concept, but you also need to convince a lot of people And sometimes uh, people who host a crowdfunding campaign expect the platform to do this, but that's an, let's say, illusion because it's still you talking to investors, you convincing investors. So you need to have a damn good story in order to convince them to become a part of the company. And that takes time. It takes time in, let's say, writing emails, social media, speaking on events, convincing people, talking to investors. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a time, uh, you need to invest time in it. And yeah. if you don't do it, then probably it will fail. 
And that's, of course, I would also say the last disadvantage you have, that if you have a failed crowdfunding campaign, uh, it's out in the open. So people know you failed, which should not necessarily be a really big issue because, come on, we can all fail and, well, we continue, we learn. Yeah, uh, That's what entrepreneurship is about. But still, it's a thing which is out there on the internet. So you should be aware of that, that uh, you prepare well, so the chances of succeeding are high. And if you fail, that there is the downside of being the failed crowdfunding campaign and you yeah. don't want to be that. Okay. Uh, zooming a bit more into the second thing you mentioned. So how, how, why is there this illusion that a crowdfunding campaign can be just done? Uh, I think it, uh, it comes from a couple of examples which fundraised via, let's say, Kickstarter mm -hmm. or uh, some uh, companies who made it look really easy. So uh, you have a couple of examples from Kickstarter. This was, let's say, the biggest pl platform uh, in the crowdfunding scene. Yeah. Of course, it's important to realize that before you start crowdfunding, you need to pick the right form of crowdfunding. So uh, Kickstarter, that's called reward-based crowdfunding. So you don't offer actually financial return, but you offer a pre-sale of your product. But there were some really big examples like a Pebble smartwatch or uh, you had the cool box uh, back then raised uh, more than 10 million and it looked really easy. So people just thought, okay, if I have a cool ID, I list it on the platform. Uh, then people start to notice and they will in the end invest because they also think it's cool. And of course, this can happen, but only with a really small portion of companies, it went viral. Yeah. The largest part of the companies really needed to invest time into the marketing campaign, uh, reaching out to individuals and really take time to prepare this. So one of the first crowdfunding campaigns in the Netherlands to raise, let's say, 1 million plus was Peerbee, so the sharing platform. And uh, it looked quite easy because it took them, I think, 30 days. And in the end, they were able to raise 1 million. But what you don't see is that they took a year to actually build a community before they started the crowdfunding campaign. Yeah. So you need to realize that there's an extensive process before being successful with the crowdfunding which you do not notice or see as an entrepreneur, but it is there and you need to do it. Okay, that's clear. Would you say that there is a kind of a secret, uh, secret formula for a successful crowdfunding campaign or is it really a big spectrum of, of different campaigns? Uh, there is a big spectrum, I would say, but um, if you would break down the level, if we would call it a secret formula, if you would break it down into some ingredients for success, let's call it like that, mm -hmm. then I think that there are a couple of things which really could help. Uh, first, that's uh, be really, uh, so uh, it's, uh, it's the KISS model, keep it stupid simple. Okay. So really make sure that everybody understands what you do. Uh, with the movie you have so make it uh, a, a fun and nice movie some humor in it one to two minutes but that people really get what you do uh, elaborate upon the most important things and uh, prepare a well-structured communication campaign starting off within your own network so almost every crowdfunding platform is demanding you to uh, reach out your to your own network first so if you start a crowdfunding campaign and you already know that you don't have a solid network, so personal network, 
then don't do it because then there's uh, low chances of succeeding. For a loan crowdfunding, it might be a little different because then you are usually already a, let's say, profitable company and you can apply for loan crowdfunding. So sometimes campaigns get funded easier there because there's already proof of principle, there's a, a profitable business model, and then it's easier. Yeah. But most of the start and scale-ups who choose for either reward-based crowdfunding, convertibles or equity, or donations sometimes, they really need to prepare a well-structured communication campaign. And um, that goes down up until uh, just registering what are we going to tell every week about the crowdfunding campaign. Do we have a potential to reach out to the, the press or the media? Uh, can we already approach some larger investors to invest from the start so we immediately get some traffic and traction? So all these things are needed to well structure and fund yeah. the crowdfunding campaign. Okay, so there, there are definitely some key elements. Um, and if we're looking at, at Simbit, uh, we took a look at the stats on their website. Around 200 projects were funded, uh, invested roughly 35 uh, million. Um, and we can imagine you have also seen a lot of different projects. Uh, what would you say is one of the most interesting projects you have uh, been involved with? Ooh, uh, that's a really good question. Uh, it would depend from, let's say, uh, what I take into account. So if I look to a successful crowdfunding campaign, for instance, yeah. uh, then I think that a really cool project we hosted was uh, fundraising for Donner, which is the bookshop here in Rotterdam. Okay. And that's not necessarily the most profitable business because it's a bookshop and they raised back in 2012. So uh, we already saw with the upcoming internet sales that bookshops were going down the drain. So it became less and less profitable to host a bookshop. Yeah. Uh, but still, there were some local bookshops. And then Donner here in Rotterdam is a good example, which had a real emotional vibe. So a lot of people were used to reading books there, buying books there and such. Yeah. So we hosted a crowdfunding campaign for them to restructure their finances. And in the end, 1,800 people joined the company as a shareholder. Oh. So they were all part of the community and they could call themselves a co-owner of Donner. So this really got a marketing buzz. I think they won the best crowdfunding campaign back then because of the marketing effect they had from their crowdfunding. They raised 250K, yeah. which at that time was really large. Uh, and it, it was a really good example of how crowdfunding can also work. So it's not always only about financial return. It can also be about a community who wants to help an entrepreneur or uh, a company to survive and to be successful. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting one. I just, it's ah, so, also not one that comes to the first of your mind thinking about a, a bookstore, right? When you no, yeah, that, and definitely uh, not if you think about equity crowdfunding yeah. because uh, it, it, it's a... It's a it's not the most profitable model. Yeah. And yeah, other uh, nice examples, for instance, one of the campaigns we did uh, all the way back uh, was a company called Declaré. Uh, so Declaré uh, uh, made a app on the phone to uh, use, uh, to hand in your receipts uh, at the company to get them paid. Mm, yeah. So uh, to, for, uh, I don't know, the real English word declaration or I don't know how you call it. In Dutch, we say declaratie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they digitized the whole process, made it uh, possible with the uh, with the tax authorities and such. 
Um, and they grew pretty good over time. And in the end, they managed to exit the crowdfunders with a really nice return. So that's also a nice example of a, uh, a campaign who raised, I think, only 50K back then for crowdfunding. And then after a couple of years, I think in their case, it was four to five years, they were able to exit the crowdfunders upon a return, which was a multiple of their initial investment. And that's, of course, really why we are in the game with equity crowdfunding, to facilitate investors to become a part of the next Facebook, if you really exaggerate, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Because we used to pitch back then that if you were able to invest 20 euros into Facebook right at the start, when Mark Zuckerberg was still in his university, and you would have the opportunity to invest two, uh, 20 euros, it would have brought you, in the end, a return of 240k or so. Yeah. So really investing on an early stage into these largely scalable companies can bring you a large return, but at the other side, of course, also a large risk involved Yeah. because probably more than half of all the campaigns we did fund are in the end going down the drain just yeah. because they can't survive. Yeah. Um, and also in contrast to these uh, successful stories, um, are there also some kind of, let's say, crowdfunding flops you have experienced? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and um, that's also a funny thing because you learn over time that not everything can be structured in what we would say a due diligence. Yeah. So we, I've, I think we have two flops, right? You have the flop of a crowdfunding campaign really failing, so not able to get their goal capital and just failed their campaign yeah, and yeah. you have the flop where you did successfully crowdfund the company but they are going down the drain quite fast so both examples of course if you are uh, in the business as long as we are uh, we've experienced them and i think that from the examples of crowdfunding campaigns who did not achieve their goal uh, at the beginning we were a little bit too let's say, uh, yeah, how do you call it? A little bit too uh, optimistic about some stories. Yeah. Uh, so we really got ourselves involved into the enthusiasm of the founders, uh, telling us about the concept and about how cool it was and how great it was going to be in the future. Uh, and then we well went along with their story and in the end facilitated the crowdfunding campaign. Yeah. Uh, but in the crowdfunding campaign, we did find out that a lot of people were actually not an enthusiastic and not that enthusiastic about it because you yeah. didn't believe the market or the entrepreneur uh, was not that good as he sold himself or they told they had a lot of commitments but they happened to have no commitments at all and well this happened yeah. let's say uh, mainly at the beginning quite sometimes now it's easier to judge an entrepreneur just by talking to the person so yeah. usually I after a chat I already know if it's going to be successful or not, of course, not with a 100% uh, chance of succeeding, but it helps to be experienced, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and also some companies which we thought were quite good, but in the end did not manage to scale up to the next funding round and unfortunately needed to, uh, to file for bankruptcy, yeah. which were initially quite successful, but just had troubles in the second fundraising round. Yeah, that, that's also a possibility, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so when you look at those successful crowdfunding teams, they are, they are often in teams, right? Or are they usually individuals? Mostly teams. Mostly, mostly teams. teams. Are, there, are there some characteristics that you see in successful teams? 
Uh, yeah, definitely. And then do you mean characteristics for a successful crowdfunding campaign or yeah, for a successful yeah, yeah. enterprise? No, for a successful crowdfunding campaign, yeah. Okay. Uh, because this can differ. So that's why I ask. Uh, for a successful crowdfunding campaign, you need to have people who are willing to really dive into communication, start calling people, jump onto a stage, spread the message, and don't be shy. So uh, you, are, you, you need to be uh, eager to contact people and tell them about your company and also ask them to become a part of your company, either with buying your product via Kickstarter, buying an equity stake via Simbit, or giving out a loan. So for everything, you need to be open. So if you are really, let's say, uh, introvert, uh, and you don't want to communicate about it a lot, and you do not want to put things on social and such, uh, then it's not going to work. So you should realize that you should be active and you should be able to call people. You should post multiple messages on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Instagram and whatever we have nowadays in order to activate large groups of people. And um, yeah, you, you should really do this. So we as a company, we are usually, I would say, the coach. So the sporting coach, but the top sport player is still the entrepreneur because they need to do it. So we can tell them how to run a good crowdfunding campaign, but the execution is still in their hands uh, because we cannot convince an investor of investing into their company because we don't own the company. Uh, we only want to give them all of the ingredients to successfully do so. So I think that if you look to teams, then usually you see that they are quite well equipped in their network. So they have, let's say, high LinkedIn connections, uh, they speak on to some events. They have former experience in the entrepreneurial world. So uh, they are already known as being a serial entrepreneur. This really helps. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes, and that's a really good one, uh, they are already in touch with a larger investor. Uh, so they have a co-investor. And this investor is willing to participate for half of the fundraising need. And then they leverage the whole funding via a crowdfunding platform together with the ingredients of a successful enterprise and team and such. Yeah. And that's the, the biggest success stories, I would say, the co-investment rounds. Okay, that's uh, clear. Um, we're going to dive a bit deeper into crowdfunding campaigns from the entrepreneurial perspective. Um, <clears throat> so uh, when uh, looking at your LinkedIn page, we saw that you approximately helped 30 entrepreneurs in raising capital uh, when you worked as the uh, campaign or as an account manager. Um, but have you ever used a crowdfunding for funding a project yourself? Uh, yeah, I uh, funded Simbit via our own crowdfunding campaign. Okay. How, how does that so, work? <laughs> yeah, well, we, we raised capital via our own platform to scale our own company. So it was, I think, approximately 180K back then for, I don't know the percentage anymore we gave for it, but it was an equity crowdfunding campaign. Uh, so that's also something I was involved with so, uh, to really uh, get this uh, up and uh, up and running and going. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, that's nice. Um, so let's say that that we want to uh, do a crowdfunding campaign ourselves, um, and we suppose that or no, sorry, sorry. Let me repeat that question. Um, so we also suppose that some crowdfunding campaigns also get turned down by Simbit. Um, what are certain turndowns that Simit uh, looks at? 
Uh, well, you're definitely right. We do turn down quite a lot. I want to say that we turn down more than we accept in the end. So if you drill down our conversion, I would say that we talk to around 100 entrepreneurs every month. Only 10 of them are possibly able to fund via Simbit. And we only work with, uh, let's say, one or two of them. Okay. So it's only 1% to 2% of all the companies we are speaking to, which is in the end raising funds via the platform. And most of the companies who are not being able to fundraise via our platform are usually, yeah, I would say a little bit stupid because they don't do their homework. Okay. They, they for instance, call us and say, can you fund my campaign or can you fund my company? Uh, and then in the call, they learn that we are only facilitating equity or convertibles. And then they're like, oh, yeah, but I want a loan. Yeah. Then I was like, okay, do your homework a little better because you should have known this upfront. Yeah. Uh, another turn down would be the business case. So we do a due diligence on the, upon the business case, which means that we are looking to the historical numbers of your company, your prognosis, but also the shareholders behind the company. So we check how your company is structured, who owned the company, uh, are those people legit? So uh, we check them upon politically influence, uh, upon up fraudulent checks, all kinds of things. Yeah. So that's a possibility that we just turn down the business case because we do think it's not interesting or there's not enough upside. And then I think a third major reason to turn down a company is just because they don't have a, what we would call crowdfundable company mm, okay. because it's way too technical or it's way too detailed and it's only interesting for a really small niche. But then we do not say, okay, it's not fundable. But we do say it's not crowdfundable because you can't spread the message to a large group of people because you just can't get it across. Yeah. And that's important for us. That's also what I meant with if we talk to an entrepreneur, we want to hear a one or two minute pitch. And if somebody takes 10 minutes to explain their concept, then we're already out. Yeah. Because you need to be faster in explaining what you do. and You need to be able to really pinpoint it into one minute. Yeah, definitely. It makes sense because that the, the business has to be somewhat marketable, right, to, to the crowd. Yeah. Um, and would you say that there's also a difference in success rate for uh, crowdfunding campaigns that are mostly focused on tangible products and intangible products? So you can see that a lot of crowdfunding campaigns have like these amazing products. Um, would you say they work better than more intangible products? That's a good question. If you look to uh, Simbit, I would say that there's not a, a pro or a con in one of them. Yeah. So it can both be successful. Uh, a crowdfunding product, uh, so a tangible product is usually easier to do some marketing for because usually it's a sort of a B2C oriented thing. Yeah. So then you can really market it uh, and you can get potential clients to become your investor and such. So that, that's an interesting part. But if you look to the intangible, let's say, projects we funded, then usually these are business-to-business-oriented uh, enterprises with, for instance, a SaaS model, so software as a service. Yeah. And usually there, the business case makes way more sense because it's easier to scale or they are already further down the line and it's easier to grasp as a professional investor. So with Simbit, I would say both can be successful. Uh, in general, I think that uh, if you look to the crowdfunding field, it usually works um, if it's really something people can relate to. So if it's tangible or consumer oriented, I think that it would be 
uh, easier to succeed than for a really technical, let's say, more intangible thing. Yeah. Uh, but that's it depends also on what kind of crowdfunding platform or type you are choosing. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, okay, and if we're looking from the from the crowd perspective, um, similar to the bookstore you mentioned, we also read some papers that stated that a large part of people's motivation to actually back crowdfunding projects is to really support small businesses and starting entrepreneurs. Um, however, we see that Simbit made, has made a shift to focus on more bigger crowdfunding campaigns with targets larger than uh, 100K. Um, are there some differences that you have seen since, since shifting from, let's say, the smaller projects to the bigger ones? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, at first, I would say that if you focus upon the crowd, you would see that it's a different crowd. So when we were doing the project at the beginning, I think that there was on average an investment of around, I don't know, 100 or 200 euros. Yeah. We allowed people to participate from 20 euros onwards so they could be a part of a campaign for a really small ticket. And we did have some larger investors, but it was more of an exception. Yeah. And larger would then have been, let's say, 5 or 10K or 15K. Uh, if we look to the projects we fundraise now, we see that the average investment is around 4,000 euros. So it really grow. And it's not an exception that there are investors in a crowdfunding campaign or in a campaign via Simbit, um, which we would usually call more share funding than crowdfunding. Um, but where you have like investors who invest 50 or 100K per person. So that's more of the business angel domain. Yeah. And sometimes even corporates or small early stage VCs are committing towards investment via the platform. Okay. So it did shift from being really retail investors like your aunt, your grandma, your uncle yeah. to more, let's say, sophisticated and professional investors who also could do their due diligence a little better and are a little bit more experienced, so to say. Okay, uh, that's clear. Um so now we're moving to the uh, third section of the uh, podcast, which is more focused on the practical tips. Um, because for us as, uh, as young entrepreneurs, crowdfunding might be a really interesting approach to start new ventures. Uh, however, uh, the term crowdfunding sometimes becomes a bit of a buzzword. And we really want to stay away from that. Uh, so we want your knowledge uh, on the practical side of crowdfunding. Um, so... Uh, you already explained on this a bit. So let's say that we want to start a new business and I'm looking at using crowdfunding to raise capital. Uh, when would you say that a business is suited for crowdfunding? Um, at first, I think that you should be 100% sure that you have a solid business case. And that's not only for crowdfunding, but that's for fundraising in general, so to yeah. say. So you really need to make sure that if somebody is challenging you upon your business case, that you're able to answer. So uh, you know about your metrics, you know about your assumptions, you know about your market, and so on and so on. That's where it starts with. Then you are going to see, okay, what do you want to get out of the crowdfunding campaign? Do you want to get a lot of marketing out of it? Do you want to get a lot of funding out of it? Do you want to get a combination? Do you want to have a more of a validation? So based upon these, let's say, needs, you're trying to drill down which form of crowdfunding should be most suitable for your company. Yeah. So if you're a 100% starter, then usually applying for a loan, for instance, is harder. 
because you don't have any uh, any year figures. Usually you are, especially if you are a student, you don't have your own home, which you can uh, use as a security or an asset yeah. into funding for your company. So then you need to be a little bit more creative and loans is usually then uh, a bridge too far. So it's more for more experienced companies. Yeah, okay, that's good. So then you can think about uh, reward-based crowdfunding, which is quite interesting if you have a physical product which you can pre-sell because then you can get validation, you can fund the first batch of production, you can really make your MVP and you can sell once you have the first batch already well offered or sold. That could be really interesting for uh, the product-oriented companies. But then do be aware of the fact that you really need to prepare such a crowdfunding campaign. You really need to communicate a lot and also involve your friends, family uh, into this because yeah. they need to be the first ones to buy your product and back you, so to say. Okay. Uh, Donation-based crowdfunding might also be an option, uh, but that's really for, let's say, more of the cultural kind of entrepreneurs. Well, I think that most of you are more commercially oriented. So then you would usually end up with either equity uh, equity or convertible as an option. Um, it can be an option when you're really early stage, but then do realize that if you are approaching crowdfunders via platform, then they want to more uh, want to know more than only your story and the paper tiger you prepared with your business case. Yeah. So they want to make sure uh, why are you as entrepreneur the one who's going to succeed. So that story needs to be solid. Preferably, you, uh, you arrange that you are backed by a couple of experts, okay. uh, either in your advisory board or as a uh, mentor or maybe as part of the team that you have more experienced people. And then lastly, I would also suggest uh, to, before you start approaching the platform, already do some, let's say, testing the water uh, by uh, approaching people and ask them, okay, if I would give you the opportunity to go invest via a crowdfunding platform in my business, would you uh, be willing to do so? So start to arrange what we would call pre-commitments. Yeah. Uh, if you have the pre-commitments, then you need to select the platform. So you know what kind of crowdfunding, what kind of type of crowdfunding you want. You have some pre-commitments and then you need to search for the right platform. And there are two really important things to check upon. Do they have their own network as a platform, uh, which is important. Uh, it's needed to leverage from your network to a network of a crowdfunding platform. Uh, you are almost never going to raise all of the funds via the network of the platform, but they need to have a solid network. So that's yeah. one of the things you need to check. And did they fund, let's say, similar companies before? In your stage, in your industry, in your, your kind of business model. So are they successful for these types of companies? Because then you know that they do have possibly the network which might be relevant for you. Yeah. And then that all together could help you to make a choice for the right platform, get into a talk with them, and then it should be all about the match. Because uh, with crowdfunding, you are working with the platform quite extensively for a period of, let's say, three months. Yeah. So it should also on a personal level be a good click and you should feel that the platform is really in there to help you uh, and not only to uh, become rich on the shorter term. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so to, to circle back a bit, actually before already picking a platform, you're kind of gathering as much 
evidence as possible to prove that you're going to be successful, right? And then uh, afterwards, you kind of already uh, answered the question I was heading to. So as an entrepreneur, how, you, how should you then decide what platform you want to choose? Because nowadays, there are a lot of crowdfunding, crowdfunding platforms available. Um, so you would say that look at their network, look at their portfolio, see if there is a fit. And then, of course, just talk with them, meet up with them, no. see if there's a click. Um, because it's not just uh, pure the business that they're uh, that it's not pure the business because you're also going to be a lot of involvement with them throughout the whole project. Yeah, and also afterwards because uh, they might in some cases also still be a part of the company either with equity or with a uh, uh, a fee which they charge you in order to inform your investors. So usually you are contact uh, you are in touch with them for a longer time. Yeah. So you need to be sure that, that it clicks. And then also, uh, and that's maybe one I forgot to tell about, be strict about the terms they ask. Okay. So not only the commercial terms for you, which is, of course, imp important. So what do they charge? Is it a fixed fee, an upfront fee, a success fee, whatever? But also the terms they uh, stipulate for investors. Yeah. So how is the convertible structured? Uh, how is the... That's a subordinated loan structured. How's the equity structured? Does this fit your company? And does it maybe somehow block your company from becoming large or scaling? Or yeah. is it all fit to also scaling into next funding rounds? So that's also really important to take into account. Okay. Um, so then let's say we have picked a platform and um, this is maybe this is only for uh, reward-based crowdfunding. But how do you then determine the the promises that you make as a, as a company, because of course you make certain promises to the crowd. How do you determine these? Uh, that's the question I also get asked the, uh, the most by yeah. entrepreneurs. And then in our case, it's usually how do I come up with a valuation of my company? So what percentage of my company do I offer to the crowd? And then with reward-based, it would indeed be, okay, what do I offer the crowd in return? Yeah. Um, it's difficult and usually the platforms do not have an answer uh, because they want you to think of what you want to offer. So if you have a product, for instance, which is usually commercially uh, available for 150 euros, then you might suggest that people who invest, let's say, 120 or 110 in your crowdfunding campaign can buy the product. So yeah. there's a discount for them. So then you should really calculate your business case. Okay, if they do buy the product for 110, then your margin is, of course, way lower. But be sure that there is still a small margin on your product. Yeah. Because otherwise, you need to invest into selling it in the first place, which, well, does not make it really interesting. Yeah. And then for loan crowdfunding, it might be a little bit easier because that's usually not something you come up with but the platform will calculate what the return should be to investors. So they have their model and they calculate what kind of interest percentage you need to charge uh, or what you need to offer, so to say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And for equity, it's also uh, difficult. Uh, try to benchmark. So try to see uh, what companies in your stage did before, what kind of valuation did they use? Can you compare your market to their market and your face to their face? And then, try to be somewhere near that valuations. So yeah. it's usually a spread everywhere between one and three million or yeah, yeah. you don't know. There's no hard core science there. Yeah. And would you say that 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 the crowdfunding target is also based on this research? So how what is the goal 
uh, for the crowdfunders? Uh, yeah, uh, partly. And that's also based upon the business case. Okay, so yeah. for instance, with Simbit, we ask you to raise at least in the bare minimum enough capital to survive for one year after successfully funding. Okay. So you need to be able to survive for one year. So cover one year of burn rate. Uh, and preferably also be able to get to a next milestone then. So that's the bare minimum. So if you ask 250K, we want to see that you can survive for a year with that. Yeah. For other companies, it might be different, but that's what I usually would say that if you're thinking about fundraising, try to cover at least one year with a fundraising activity you do, because otherwise you are done with fundraising and you need to start right over again. And then you're in the fundraising mode continuously, which will cost you way too much energy and time. So yeah. you cannot focus upon your own enterprise anymore. Yeah, makes sense. Um, okay, and, and taking into consideration that our, our uh, target audience consists mostly of young entrepreneurs, uh, we imagine there are also lots of student entrepreneurs among these as well. Uh, do you actually encounter student entrepreneurs startups in Simbit? If we accept them, you mean? Yeah, or encounter, do they even, do they even bother, uh, bother signing up for a, for a campaign at Simbit? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it's not possible. We did uh, do uh, fundraising before with really young entrepreneurs. Uh, but it depends because usually they are not really experienced yet. Yeah. Uh, the company is still really small and the fundraising is also really small. Yeah. So then in theory, it can be interesting to host a crowdfunding campaign. But then if we look to what we usually do, so raising between 400 and 600K of a company who's already a little bit more experienced, then it's hard for student entrepreneurs to raise funds via us. Yeah. Uh, but I would always encourage to just try if you have your homework well structured, because uh, if you connect to a crowdfunding platform and they... Uh, analyze the business case, they like the business case, but they think it's too early, they might still have advice of who you, who you should talk to then. Yeah. Definitely. So they might be able to redirect you to, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, a business angel or early stage VC or uh, to another company who can help you in this really early days. Yeah. So it's always wise to do so. So uh, yeah, that being said, uh, do not uh, all students who listen this uh, this podcast <laughs> do not send me your business plan tomorrow <laughs> because then it will probably be, be a little bit busy but still i'm always open to discussing and uh, seeing what kind of possibilities will be yeah, there yeah clear yeah because a lot of uh, business school courses are are still aimed at the more traditional ways of funding so like you mentioned angel investments or venture capitalists um but how could you as students then best prepare for a crowdfunding campaign or how could you let's say, practice for crowdfunding? How could you practice? Uh, well, uh, at first, like I said, at a somewhat uh, halfway the podcast, uh, approach people and just ask them that if, hypothetically, you would arrange a crowdfunding campaign and you offer them the opportunity to either buy your product, become an owner, or lend you some money, would they be interested to participate? Yeah or set up an email and ask them for feedback. So your own network, and then in the feedback questions, integrate this, let's say, test. So uh, if I would offer you the opportunity to invest into my company, would you do that? 
Yeah. So that's one of the things. Um, try to learn from what's out there already because there are a lot of crowdfunding campaigns which either failed or successfully braced. And some of these people also wrote blogs about it or uh, did some some talks or whatever. So you can find quite some materials, I would say. And then prepare uh, by uh, deciding if this can be something for your company in your stage. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Robin. Um, just a final question to close this episode off. Are there any more general tips you want to give to the young entrepreneurs listening to this podcast? Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, and that was one tip I also got myself during my master's, uh, which well was quite valuable for me. And that's uh, that you need to use your time as a student. Because if you approach an angel, a VC, uh, an individual, a mentor, a corporate, uh, let's say, manager, you name it, and you approach them as a student or maybe as a student entrepreneur, and you ask them for feedback, so not necessarily only for funding, but you want to have a chat with them or coffee or whatever, uh, mention uh, the name Erasmus, uh, tell uh, that you're an entrepreneurial student and you would really like to learn from them. Usually, most of the times, people make time. And uh, this is valuable because now you have the advantage of being a student and asking the people to help you. So use this because if you're not a student anymore and you're a startup, then it becomes already a little bit more difficult. Uh, I wouldn't say impossible because uh, usually if you're a startup, you're enthusiastic and you have a good story, then usually it would also work. But being a student helps a little bit more. Okay. Thank you, Robin, for the, for the great advice. Thank you for listening to the crowdfunding podcast by Lynn Vanderhoff, Tristan DeFelda, Radu Makafai, and Perry Krautoff. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please leave us a comment. And if you learned something, share it with others on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. For more episodes, check our YouTube channel or your favorite podcast app. Until next time at the Crowdfunding Podcast.